Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. If I were to ask you the question, uh, what is at the core of your life? Think about it. You don't have to answer out loud. It's one of those things called a rhetorical question. What is at the core of your life? What's at the center? Or, yay, you must have been reading my notes, man. Another way, what is at the heart of your life? What's at the center? What's at the core? What's at your heart? Maybe it's your legitimate physical heart, right? We're in the month of February. If you're British, you pronounce it February, in case you're wondering. Um, Happy February. Yeah? Okay. February is the month of what? Man, hearts galore, right? There are hearts galore in February, right? Why, you know, we've got got heart decorations. We've got heart cards. How many is hoping to get a heart-shaped candy or a box of candy, right? Hearts everywhere. I mean, I think if you could probably symbolize the heart in one word, it would be. <laughs> uh, what's the emotion? Yes, I snort and I laugh loud. What is the emotion attached to a heart? Oh, okay, we're awake now, right? Love. Love is arguably perhaps the strongest human emotion. Yeah? Love could be the strongest human emotion, but it's not the only emotion represented in your heart, right? I mean, check this out. In our language, we say this. We say you can be a sweetheart. You can have a brave heart. You can suffer a broken heart. You can be struck in the heart with envy. You can hold things close to your heart. You can have a bleeding heart. You can have a black heart, a kind heart, a soft heart, a cold heart. Hearts can be torn. Hearts can be broken. And you can have a change of heart. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Someone should turn that into a spoken word. I'm not, like, cool enough for that, but I'll give you the lyrics. Right? And the list goes on and on. For, all of, for centuries, perhaps of all of human history, there's been something that they know that the heart is the center of your life. Right, they, they, it's the center of your emotions. It's the center of your uh, perhaps decision making. Hashtag follow your heart. Right, the heart is very important to the core of ourselves, metaphorically speaking, but also physically speaking. Right, like if your heart stops working, you stop working. You know, the heart is really important to you. I know that there have been uh, cases in my life where very close people to me have ended up rushed to the hospital because of a heart issue. And if you've been in that situation, you know that's a terrifying situation because you know that the heart is core to who you are. So the heart, metaphorically, is core to who we are. The heart, quite literally and physically, is core to who we are. But our heart is also core to us when it comes to our spiritual life. The state of our heart, cold, soft, kind, black, not only influences the relationships with, and not only influences our personal health, not only influences the relationships that we have together, the state of my heart, but most importantly, it influences the relationship of your heart with God. And this 
today we're going to talk about a passage that addresses straight to the heart. We've been in this series called Our House, and in Our House we're saying that there are three marks of this house that if they don't exist, we aren't who we are. There are three marks in this house that says this is who we are as citizens, and if they don't exist, we're not who we are. Those things are we're a kingdom-declaring community, we're a culture-shaping community, and today we're going to see how we are a heart-transforming community. The trick about this heart-transforming community, however, is, and what we're going to find out today, is that it's not you or I that have the capability to transform these hearts. So, opening up to your Bibles, to Ezekiel 36. Anybody in here named Ezekiel? Dang. Okay. <laughs> Ezekiel 36. You'll find it in the middle towards the end of your Bible in the prophets. Ezekiel 36. We're going to jump into um, the middle, perhaps, of the Old Testament today. And in reality, we're jumping into the middle of a story. This is a story of a people who are stuck in a pattern that maybe perhaps you recognize. So there are these people, namely the Israelites, right? And they do good for a bit. You know, they're, they're, they live well, they live kindly, and then they mess up royally. They make a big mistake. And God steps in and he fixes their mistakes, and they do good for a while. And then they mess up big time. And then God steps in, and he fixes that mess. And they do good for a while. And they mess up royally. And then God steps in, and he fixes that mess. And over and over and over and over again, the pattern repeats. Sound familiar to anyone? I know I feel that. At the peak of this people, of the Israelites' mistakes. They literally were so wicked that the, <laughs> the text says like the land vomited them out, right? They got kicked out of their home. They got kicked out of their land. And they are alone. They're strangers. And God is the only one who can enter the story and provide a solution to their toxic situation. And we're going to find out what he has to say. So in Ezekiel 36, we're going to turn to Verse 25. Verse 25 says this. And this is the Lord speaking. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, which is not a word. You should look at it. It's totally not a word in there. <laughs> so I shall clean you from all your uncleannesses. I know it should be like uncleanliness, but it's not. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you will dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God." In this text, we're going to see that God makes our dead hearts live. So, 
Let's look back at verse 25. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. Um, How many of you know that if your friend tells you to take a shower, it's not because you smell like roses? Right? If someone's like, hey, when was the last time you took a shower? They're not like, oh, you smell so good right now. They're like, please, take a shower, right? And that's what's happening. First of all, if, if God is sprinkling clean water on his people, then they are obviously in a mess. How many of you have seen an episode of Hoarders? You're like, every day when I wake up, I look at my room, right? <laughs> right, uh, for those of you unfamiliar with Hoarders, um, they visit people's houses who have collected, collected things that are important to them. Hashtag, they make a trash heap out of their house, right? So to kind of express uh, what is happening in this text, that we see that uh, sin, the sin of these people, trashes their heart, right? Their sin trashes their heart, and it's unescapable. So I, I was trying to think of a good way to show this. So before I throw a picture up on the screen, those of you, uh, public service announcement, those of you who are... Uh, nauseous or prone to nauseousness should look away right now, okay? All right. Okay, Max. Oh, I'm going to vomit. Yo, that is somebody's house. That, like, it legitimately makes me want to vomit. Uh-uh. That is unclean. Right, when you... When this is showing us that sin trashes our hearts, this is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like a moldy loaf of bread that you perhaps left in your car or under your bed for a month. I'm talking about like heaps and heaps and heaps of garbage that is rotting and infested with perhaps vermin, spiders, and infectious diseases, right? Like, oh my, (laughs) right? This is bad. Okay, take it down before we all vomit. In this situation, like, you can't even move freely about your house. Like, you can't make it from the couch to the bathroom. Nonetheless, get to the front door or even open the door or try to leave the door, right? And this is the picture of sin. It makes a trash heap of our hearts. It makes a trash heap of our lives. And you can't move around freely. You, it is inescapable. And you can't get out of the house. I mean, like, Oscar the Grinch would not even grouch. Oof got my green people mixed up. Oscar the Grouch would not even live there, right? Him and, what's the worm's name? Squirmy? Nobody watches Sesame Street. Slimy! Is that Kira? Oh, oh, there it is. Okay, right? This is a mess. Sin makes a trash heap of our lives. Did you catch uh, in the text what the actual sin of the people is? The sin that actually made a trash heap of their lives? Verse 25. It says, And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all of your idols. And immediately you're like, Whoo, I am off the hook, right? I don't have any strange, like, statue in my house that I bow down to. No idols here, right? Okay, what is an idol? Let's define this right now. Let's take it back to our first question, right? What's at the core of your life? What's at the heart of your life? 
idol is anything that lives at the core of your life that isn't the creator God. It's the thing that you say, oh, this comes first. Sorry, God. This comes first. And without this, I would die. Without this, I wouldn't know what to do. This means our idols are different for all of us. For some of you, your idol is yourself. Right? For some of you, your idol is your accomplishments. Like, if I don't make this happen, then I'm, I'm nothing. If I don't win this competition or this tournament or make this goal or achieve this, I'm, I'm nothing. Right? Or if this left my life, right? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's like if this specific person left my life, I'd be nothing. If this uh, friend, if this girl, if this guy, if this parent even left my life, I would be nothing. It's the thing where we say, no, 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 God. No, no, this first. And every time we say, no, 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 this first, we add another bag of trash into the trash heap of our lives. And we bury ourselves in our sin. But check this out. Uh, in this passage, we can count the number of ways that God says, I will. Look at this. Why does this matter? He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and I will remove your heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. These seven times in four verses that God says, I will, shows us that God is the only one that can clean this house, right? Our hearts that are messy that, like, deserve to just literally be burned down and start over, right? He, he says, I will cleanse you. He's the only one. He's our only hope against sin, and he doesn't just clean up sin for the sake of cleaning sin because you're gross, because you need a shower. He doesn't just clean the house because he can. He cleans the house because he plans to move in. Look at this. He uses this word, sprinkled clean. Like, wow, that's deep. If I was cleaning something, it would be like, like elbow deep clean. Like, bathe it, right? Completely take it down. This sprinkled clean um, and if you're a reader of your Bible, which, by the way, community of citizens, we're students of our Bible. If you're a reader of your Bible, um, this word sprinkled clean should, like, start triggering memories in your head. Like, oh, I know what this is. You see, before God put his spirit within his people, he chose to put his spirit in physical places where people can meet with him. It started with the tent with Moses. And then the tabernacle with the Israelites. And then the temple with the Jews. And we see in Exodus 40 that before, before God even moved in to where he was going to be with his people, Moses sprinkled clean the place. He cleaned it up before God moved in. He consecrated it. He set it apart for God. And we see this is what God is doing in the text. He sees the hearts of his people. And he says, I'm going to move in there. I'm going to clean it up, and I'm going to sprinkle you clean, and this is where I'm going to live. And at the end of the passage, we're going to see how God legitimately changes his address from the universe to your heart. <laughs> but before he does this, God still needs to make our dead hearts live. There's something still left here. So let's look at verse 26. He says, I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Guys, our hearts are such a trash heap that it requires a heart transplant. Our, 
old hearts, our hearts without God, are just as good as dead. I mean, look at this phrase, heart of stone, heart of stone. What, what does it mean to have a heart of stone? A heart that is immovable, right? It's unchangeable. It's dead. It doesn't beat. A heart that is bent on sin and cannot be directed another way. I mean, imagine if your literal physical heart, like in your rib cage, was stone. I guarantee you, you would not be here today because you would be dead, right? Probably in a research facility because nobody knows why your heart turned to stone, right? You would be dead. Your heart has been made into stone. A heart of stone does not beat. So let's have a heart examination. How do you tell if your heart is made of stone? What are the symptoms? What are the common symptoms of a heart that is made of stone? Well, it's not beating, but... First, it is marked by a general air of, I don't care. Your friend, your teacher tells you, hey, you probably shouldn't do blank because it's not good for you or it's not safe or it's not kind or it's not helpful or you're hurting other people. And you just respond like, I don't care. A heart of stone looks at the word sin and is like, that means nothing to me. That's irrelevant. This is, this is my life. Sin isn't a thing. Another symptom, when a heart of stone is faced with a chance to consider eternity, considered a chance to think about life after death, they go, it doesn't matter. I mean, what does it matter? It means nothing to me. And lastly, a heart of stone uh, thinks of the concept of being without God forever as nothing. Without God forever, it's whatever. And the ultimate question we ask the heart of stone is, do you love your sin and hate God? Or do you love your sin more than God? And this, friends, is a very dangerous place to be. Particularly because you're dead. (laughs) Your heart isn't beating And in the Bible, and as we see later, we're going to find out that the original creation and the heaven that we're meant to be with God, like heaven is with God, we are with God, then by definition, a life without God is hell. And that's the destiny for the heart of stone. Our stone hearts are dead, but in this text, God gives us a heart transplant. He says, I will give you a heart of flesh. So what is a heart of flesh? Obviously opposite from a heart of stone. A heart of flesh moves and it beats and it lives and it pumps blood and it gives life. It's a heart that is alive and it beats for the purpose of glorifying God. There's another word in this passage that is so key. He says that I will put a new spirit in you. Do you know what that word spirit, like, translates as? Breath. In creation, man was dust. God made dust, looked like a man, and went, and he breathed the breath of life in it. And man became alive. Our 
hearts are so dead that God is making a new creation. He gives you a new heart, and he breathes a new breath of life, a new spirit of life into that heart. And it's a, a heart that recognizes God as supreme creator and enables us to, to finally escape from that dirty, trash heap house and escape from our own sin and the things that we love more than God. So let's look at a heart examination of a flesh heart. How do you know if you have a heart of flesh? What are the symptoms if your heart is flesh? First and primary is that your new heart means new desires. It beats for a whole new reason than it ever has before. Do you cringe at your sin? Do you cringe when you hurt others or when you're selfish or when your anger just annihilates the people around you? Do you cringe when you gossip and destroy people behind their back? Do you cringe when you love things more than God? Have you ever had those moments where, like, you think to a thing in the past, and in that thing in the past you, were, you didn't think it was a big deal, but now you look back and you're like, oh, why did I do that? Like, that was so bad. A heart of flesh feels that. Another symptom. Do you want more in life than just looking out for number one, than just getting accomplishments, than just looking the coolest or the best? or gaining the most wealth, or material things? Do you want your life to give glory to God? And lastly, symptom of a flesh heart, do you hate your sin and love God? God takes away our dead heart of stone, and he gives us a heart of flesh. He brings our dead hearts to life. But, but why? Why does it matter? Why does God need to do this? Like, why would our dead hearts come to life? I mean, uh, why clean up the, our heart? Why clean up the house? Why give us a new heart? Why, why does it matter? What is the, why doesn't he just leave us in our mess, right? He, the person who made them, like, they made it themselves. Why can't they be left in their mess? But remember, God cleans up the mess he cleans up our hearts. He cleans up the house to give us a new way of living because he is moving into our hearts. Last couple of verses here. Verses 27 and 28. He says, I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people and I will be your God. God gives us a new heart in order to give us himself. God gives us a new heart in order to give us himself, for him to move in, for him to change the address of his house to our heart. And with this new heart, with this new beating and this fresh life and this vitality, we Go where God goes. Look at this. Verse 27. He says, and I will cause you to walk, big letters, walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Those, that walk and that obey means the same thing. And I think this verb here is super significant. Like walking is slow. And if you, like, walk to school or walk around your neighborhood or, like, walk, walk, it's not driving. It's not running. It's not, like, 
power walking. It, it, it's a slow process. And you're walking with God, which means you go where God goes. Like, God is not going to lead you into sin. You go where he goes. He leads you on paths of righteousness. And, and it's, a, it's a slow walking process, which that should give us relief, because how many of you are, like, have a problem, and then you're, like, perfect the next day? Yeah, nobody, right? Like, it, growth takes time. It takes process, right? And we take step by step by step by step. This means that if you have something like that, you know is something that, man, you just gotta, it's sin in your life, and you've got to live a different way. Like, every step is an opportunity for you to do that. Every conversation you have Every decision you make, every post, share, like, and comment that you make is an opportunity for you to practice these things. It's a, an opportunity for pa- to practice paths of righteousness, to practice patience, to practice humility. When that person makes you angry and you think, I'm so mad, which that never happens to me, obviously, um, that is a moment for you to practice grace. It's a moment for you to say, I am super mad right now, but I have a moment of growth ahead of me. And I can choose to be humble, and I can choose to be patient, I can choose to be graceful, I can choose to be kind. And when someone starts talking trash about somebody else, you have a moment to grow. And you can say, man, that's not cool. We shouldn't talk that way about people. Every step you make is an opportunity for you to grow. It's an opportunity for walk with God, to live out that flesh heart, to go where he goes, to follow him in passive righteousness. And he's with you through it all, even when it seems like you're the only one making the right decision. Last thing here, verse 28. There's this phrase that all through this text, there's things where like, man, yeah, that's, I can apply that to me. Like, I, I can see that in my life. But this verse 28, he says, you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And you're like, cool, great. He gave a promise to the Israelites. They're going to have some land. They're going to have a house. They're going to live there. That's great, right? Having land in this situation for these Israelites is more than just like, hey, I got a place to put a house. I got a place to lay my head at night when I go to sleep. It's about God being with the people. The people in the land, this is at a time where God was in a physical place rather than in us. And to dwell in the land was to be with God. And he says this really key phrase, you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is something that I think is a thesis for the entire scriptures. Uh, thesis. Hopefully you guys know what that word means, right? If you're writing an essay, it's like the key thing, right? I forget that we have different ages in here. Um, right? It's the main theme. It's the main idea for the whole scriptures, I think, is we start out in creation, right? And God is literally walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. He is with them. And sin isn't about, no, you made a mistake. It, like, literally cuts off. It amputates the relationship between God and man. And now there's distance. And through the whole theme of the scriptures, man's trying to get back and they're trying to be good and they fail and they're trying to be good and they fail. And God's like, just come back to me. Just come back to me. Just return to me. Return to me. Return to me. And they can't ever do it. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and his name, 
Emmanuel literally means God with us. This amputated relationship between God and man is fixed with the God-man who is with us. And he was the perfect picture of like flesh that you could touch, that you could see him, that you could see the way he treated people, that you could feel the care of God through one man. And then he left. Right? He died, he came back to life, and he went up to be with the Father. But he left us the Spirit. And this is the answer to the promise in this text. This text, remember, promised, I will put my spirit in you. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, he descended the spirit into our hearts, and he is with us. That literally, we don't have to go to a building, we don't have to go to a temple or a tent or a super holy place to be with God, that he is with us in our hearts. And this withness is the reality of the new heavens and earth. When God, oh, I wait for this day, when God has justice on the evil in the world and he recreates the brokenness and the pain and the heartbreak that we feel and he fixes, it says in Revelation 21.3, he says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Have you looked at the world recently? Like, have you looked at human history? It's gross, right? It's nasty. And can you imagine? He promised this, like, way ago, right? Can you imagine someone who wants to hang out with us after we destroy everything? What? Like, in all of human history, God still says at the end of time, when I've recreated everyone's hearts, those who follow me, when I've taken care of evil and sin and brokenness, he says, I will live with you. And it will be the most complete and whole thing that our heart has ever felt. What does it mean right here, sitting in Vancouver, Washington, that God is with us, that God makes our dead hearts live. This reality of God with us has been sometimes the only thing that has gotten me through certain seasons of my life. You know, we have these moments, at least I do, maybe you don't, <laughs> where you're just kind of, when you, those moments when you're alone, and you're like laying on the floor or on your bed or hanging off a chair and you're like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> right? God, does anybody see me? Does anybody know who I am? Does anybody care? And God is with you. And those moments where you think, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to do this again. And then you do it again. The same God that can renew your heart can clean you again. Right? In those moments when you see trouble coming, you're like, I know that I'm going to respond this way. Like, I know if that person says that thing, I'm going to turn to the Hulk and rip them apart, right? When you know that there's moments like that coming, man, God is with you. And if you follow him, you walk in his way, he'll choose a different path, right? God makes our dead hearts live. He awakens us to new things in life. He awakens us to reality that reality really is. And though this text was promised ages ago that God would renew our hearts and give us a new spirit, he fulfilled it in Jesus. And Jesus took care of sin so that our hearts can be different. 
And we're going to end here at this verse in Hebrews 10, 22. Hebrews 10, 22 says, Let us draw near. That's near to God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith that with your hearts, here it is again, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is our response. God, our hearts were a dead trash heap. God cleaned it up. God gave us a new heart and he put a spirit within us to live in a totally new way. And in response, we take this new heart and we draw near to God. And we find hope and peace and rest in that. In this room tonight, there are two types of hearts. The first heart is the stone-hearted heart. The one that has the attitude of, I don't care, God, who is that? Sin, it's nothing. Death, whatever. And one of the marks of this community is that we are a kingdom-declaring community, which means we can't leave today without telling you that if you're stone-hearted, your heart is dead. It's far from Christ. And we implore you, we ask you to hand that stone heart over for God to give you a flesh heart, a heart that beats for a purpose, the heart that beats for the glory of God, the heart that's filled with love, and to join not just our path in walking with God on the path of righteousness, but joining this community, this family. God called a people he didn't call just a person. He changes a people he doesn't call just a person. And so to the stone-hearted, we say, give that heart up. Let him transform you. Walk in ways of righteousness, and you're one of us. Let us do this together. Now, the rest of us in here are those who are flesh-hearted. But even though our hearts are flesh and we have a new heart that's beating and it has new desires and new cares and we want to do what's right, we still have this old body that wants to do sin, that wants to do things, and you think, well, I I think I have a flesh heart because I know that God gave me a new one and and I know I had an experience with him and I know who God is, but how how, how can he be with me when I live like this? How can he be with me when I think like this and act like this and treat that person like this? How can he be with me? And remember that he is with you and he's not with you because you're so lovable or that you're so great to hang out with. He's with you because he said he'd be with you. And his promise depends on himself. He who had the power to give you a new heart in the first place has a power to bring you back time and time and time again until you see him face to face. And so for those of you who may be a bit downtrodden because you know that you have a new heart but you want to live differently, I say remember Remember who's the God that we serve, and it's not a God that looks away from you, that can't look you in the eye, that chooses not to be with you. He's a God who's with you, and every time he asks you to walk with him. So walk. Take the step. You've made bad steps before. The next step, choose the right step. 
that person confronts you afterwards, choose grace. The thing pops up on your phone, choose to ignore it, right? Every step is an opportunity for us to walk with God because he is with us. God has made our dead hearts live, so let's live it. I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna sing this song. And there's a line in the song that it just resonates with my heart. It says, you make all things new. It says, Jesus, you make all things new. And as we sing this song tonight, I want us to not only thank him for the heart that he makes new, but I want us to petition him again. God, you make all things new. Change my desires. Change my heart. Change what I care about. Change what I love about you. Change how I love others. And that's going to be our, our response in that we want to give our hearts to God. 